I've been enjoying uh, being influenced by the teachings here on this retreat. And that's one of the benefits of being on retreat and teaching retreats is that I also get to practice and hear the Dharma and be influenced by the teachings and the teachers. And I've been particularly enjoying the emphasis that Eugene has brought on the mindfulness with breathing and making that distinction when he was making the distinction between the mindfulness with the breathing and mindfulness of the breathing. Because often we can easily put the attention on the breath and the sensations of the breath as something exclusive from the rest of our experience and forget that the breath is actually this wonderful resource for us to help us connect more fully with our experience and in doing that, bringing about those qualities that Eugene was speaking about of the, of the connection and uh, calm and kindness and trust and all these different ways that as we connect more fully with our experience, we open up to different aspects of our being, of our nature as we do that. And so I noticed that I've been really focusing on my breath much more since that teaching and really enjoying the feeling and the sense of the breathing with. Breathing with my sensations in my body, breathing with my thoughts, breathing with the different emotions and moods and mind states as a way to really support that presence, staying present, staying here, and not getting carried away, not getting carried off by the mind. And it happens so easily for us. You know, sometimes I'm, when I look, I just see how quickly things can turn. And I'm caught in my mind, uh, my, my story or my mind state, just like a, an instant. And I might catch it pretty quickly, but it's just always surprising how close that is, that identification, that potential to get caught or lost. It's so close, which means that there needs to be a fairly constant attention, a constant vigilance to these patterns of mind, this way that the personality wants to take form, wants to take shape, because it can happen so quickly. So this breathing with is a way that I'm finding helps me stay more grounded and I'm feeling a little more calm actually as I start to connect more fully with that. Really enjoying that. And this earlier today I was starting to feel that uh, breathing with uh, what my experience was of the thoughts or sensations or moods or emotions, kind of like this, the flow of the, of the, way, of the ocean when the waves come to the shore and break up and then the water recedes back out and that flow of the, of the waves at the shore. And the breath, as we focus more into the breath, sometimes we can feel that. We can feel like we're in the flow. We can feel that flow of experience as it comes and as it goes. And being with the breath, because the breath is very much like the wave, the wave on the ocean, we can sometimes just even feel that more directly, like we are in the flow, flow, or I am the flow of experience. It can bring us more closely to that, um, that knowing there. So I really want to explore more about this practice. I want to expand it. Because when we are actually going with the flow in this way, it means that we're not so much in conflict with our experience. We're not so much uh, separating or splitting off or rejecting, putting something over there and saying, I don't want that or I don't, I don't like that. I want this instead of that. And there's a way that as I'm breathing with, there's more of a connection with what's happening and I'm not caught so much in that. 
that activity of rejecting or that activity of resisting. And even if I am, I can breathe with that. I can come more fully into my experience of the resistance or the experience of the rejecting. And then I'm already in the flow of that. So it's not like it, it means if I'm in the flow, doesn't mean that not, nothing negative or difficult or uncomfortable is arising. It just means that I'm also including that. I'm with that. I'm in a way befriending that, uh, that mind state or that pattern or that emotion, whatever it is, that person, the situation, whatever it is that I'm finding myself in conflict with. I think Eugene mentioned this as the non-contentious mind. You know, the mind that isn't in contention with or in conflict with our experience as it's happening. So this is really pointing to the, I think, the central teaching of the Buddha. Because the central teaching of the Buddha is about letting go of the grasping mind, being free of the way the mind clings, coming into a deep appreciation for and understanding of the non-clinging mind, a mind that is free of this contention, a mind that is free of this conflict. Because we know that when we are experiencing this kind of conflict or resistance or rejection, that there is grasping. There is a way that we are attached to our preferences, attached to wanting experience to be the way I want it to be and not being the way I want it to be. And that gives rise to the dukkha. That gives rise to our suffering. Or sometimes, as Eugene was saying, sometimes the suffering translation might be too strong. Dukkha, we can experience the dukkha merely as, but it's not merely as or simply as, but as unsatisfaction. We're just not satisfied. We're not content. We feel uncontented with our experience or with what's happening. So to be, to come out of the dukkha means that we experience a kind of satisfaction or a contentment or an ease or a flow with the way things are. So this is very central to what it is that we're focusing on here, is this releasing of the grasping, coming out of our unsatisfactory um, situation being free. When we come to a retreat, and we all know this very well, that we are confronted with our tendencies towards grasping in very, very many ways. Um, the, the, The retreat is set up in such a way, really, that we have a particular container or structure here, and so much of the things that we usually get distracted by are taken away. I I don't even need to begin to name all of our toys, particularly in the 21st century of electronics. And, you know, we, we are really alone with ourselves here. We have this schedule that we uh, uh, follow through the day, sitting and walking. And then we have the highlight of the day, which is the lunch meal, <laughs> you know, the big highlight. And, you know, what, goes in, what falls into second place is the notice board, you know, kind of waiting for, you know, maybe there's a note or a sign or, you know, something that might entertain us. Sometimes uh, teachers use the analogy that the, the, the notice board is like the, you know, the TV or the, the communications area, right? We're so used to that, so used to communications in some ways, which is good here because we want you to get your notes. But, um, you know, these not many distractions here. So we're really left with our own mind. We're left with our own mind. So whether we're going to see our reactivity towards the external conditions in different ways, or we're going to find them to our own internal conditions, 
but there's no difference really because it's just moment to moment to moment experience coming experience going and then our relationship to that are we in some kind of conflict with what's arising or is there some capacity to be able to open to the way it is and, and with a more an attitude of allowing of uh, some receptivity of openness to the way things are if we are in a, a <coughs> caught in a kind of grasping pattern then we're trying to control or manipulate our experience in some way according to our preferences. And it's this particular pattern that reinforces this habitual sense of self or myself. And then I feel bound by these habits. I feel bound up in these, the, the way that I am on automatic, that I'm habitually relating to something the same way again and again in some kind of reactivity, uh, some kind of resistance, some kind of judgment, uh, blame, um, some kind of not liking. Or the other opposite is the openness to, the allowing of. So here we see many things, particularly in, in the winter here at Spirit Rock, particularly on this retreat, and I want to name a few things that people might have some reaction to, not saying that you do, but just, you know, just kind of getting a, a, a naming a few things just to see if we can bring this more into consciousness. Unfortunately, one of the things is that in the um, dormitory karuna, I don't know if everybody knows this, but for the last couple of days there's been no furnace heat and there's been no hot water and and so the people who have been living in Karuna have had to go without those luxuries and they are luxuries that the rest of us have and fortunately we've been able to provide some uh, space heaters in the room but this morning when I was uh, uh, running the hot water at the, before the early morning sit and washing my face, I went, oh, you know, the people in Karuna, when they turn on their tap, it's cold water coming out. You know, they don't really have this luxury. And, I, and in that moment, I was really able to appreciate so much more the hot water that was actually running out of the faucet and feeling some empathy for the people who weren't able to have that. Hopefully it's supposed to be fixed tomorrow afternoon. We're going to hope for that. But in the meantime, it's hard. I would imagine that it's hard. And it would be, you know, it's, it's our practice. It's an opportunity for us to look at our re, re, reaction to that. Or maybe it's not reaction. Reaction I usually think of as a negative or critical response. As opposed to just a response of, oh, this is how it is, and then just kind of sensing and feeling what's happening for us in, the, in those conditions. So we have that opportunity to see what happens in our mind when we're in a situation that isn't really to our liking or to our preference. It's been cold, you know, it's very cold here, it's been raining, it, it's going to rain some more most likely on um, uh, Saturday, I think we began the retreat on Saturday, and I was, I lived just over the hill, and I was getting ready to leave, and right at three o'clock, I think it was right, I looked at the clock, on the dot it started to rain, and I thought, this is when people are starting to come to Spirit Rock and pulling their luggage up the hill, and it's like the one of the, I always really feel so badly when it's raining right at that time because it's hard. It's hard for people. And so again, you know, here we have this opportunity to look at our reaction to that or the way that we're relating to that when it happens. These conditions out of our control, just the way it is. We 
try to stay warm, we try to stay dry, take care of ourselves, we do the very best we can. This is bringing wisdom to the situation, both the, the people who are under the conditions in the dorms and uh, people who may not have brought uh, enough clothes, might feel, you know, cold or whatever. We want to take care of ourselves around that. There was a, a woman on a retreat um, this I think it was in the summer, but it was uh, maybe earlier in the year, maybe. She was from Los Angeles, and she was actually suffering a kind of chronic illness, and it was her first time here. And I think it was like the, it was a seven-day retreat, and on the fourth day of the retreat, in an interview, she told me that she had been freezing, that she didn't bring up enough clothes, and she'd just been so cold and, and uncomfortable. And here's a woman who really w wasn't well, and she hadn't asked. She hadn't said anything. She hadn't asked for any help or support around that. She just suffered. And so we, again, that's not a, a very helpful response to the situation. We want to really look at ways that we can bring our wisdom and our compassion, our kindness to the situation so that we really can support ourselves and support other people when we find ourselves in these conditions. It reminded me of the serenity prayer, which is this beautiful prayer many people know. The prayer that goes like this, that says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I think that's so much really what we're practicing here. You know, give me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can. We really want to bring our wisdom as much as we can to what it is that we're dealing with. There are people here with colds. You know, people are coughing, people are sneezing. That's uncomfortable, it's difficult. People don't like to come on retreat when they're not well. We have, I find people have a lot of resistance to this. It's like, oh, this is really going to interfere with my retreat. But is it? Does it need to? You know, again, it's a shift of attitude, just shifting the attitude so that we are actually seeing it more as a way to work with our mind, to work with our responses, to see if we can bring the compassion and kindness to ourselves in whatever situation we find ourselves in. And of course, if we're sitting near people, and this comes up, you know, we're sitting near people who are coughing, who are sneezing, you know, that can bring reaction for us, can't it? You know, it can be very unsettling and very difficult. Again, we think, you know, the person who is uh, having this um, restless time with their cold next to us, we might be afraid that we're going to get sick or, you know, we're going to catch something or our meditation is disturbed. We're not going to be able to settle. We're not going to be able to get quiet. But again, it's not so much about that experience of getting calm. It's about what is our relationship to what's happening? What's the attitude in the mind? Am I caught in this resistance and reactivity? Or is there a way that I can find a way to open? Find a way to settle, to come into a place of acceptance of the way things are, or Maybe it's finding some way to change that. Somebody uh, left a note saying, you know, it sounded like somebody was sipping their breath at, uh, next to them, and it was very disturbing, and what should this person do? And, you know, what can we do? What are our options? Either we begin to really come more fully into our experience, find a way to breathe with that sound, breathe with the hearing, the experience of hearing, noticing that there may be some resistance, breathing with it, coming more fully into the present moment, being mindful in that way. Or if it's too much and we can't deal with it, we move, we shift, we shift to another place so that we have more resources to work with what's happening. So again, you know, not so easy sometimes. Sometimes people are sitting next to us who are breathing loudly, and again, we do what we can. We encourage people, who, particularly people who 
um, are working with their breath, maybe from another tradition or they're manipulating their breath in some way, we encourage people not to do that here so that people are really more just noticing or being aware of the way the breath is happening rather than trying to change the breath or alter the breath. So, so yet that doesn't mean that somebody isn't going to be breathing loudly or maybe some, creating some disturbance for you. So then, again, we work with that. Hearing, feeling the resistance, breathing with, breathing with. We might not be so familiar with the food. People have resistance to the food here sometimes, even though it's actually, well, I think, really wonderful food. But some people aren't so used to the vegetarianism. You know, they're used to eating meat or a different kind of diet. Maybe it's difficult there. We're sitting for long periods. A lot of people aren't used to sitting for long periods. The body hurts. We have pain. We have difficulty. You know, all of this is going on. The mind isn't used to being ignored in the way that we're, you know, not really following every thought, every desire, every movement. So here in the retreat and and the encouragement is to see all of this is practice. In the mindfulness practice, there's no distractions. Nothing is a distraction. Everything is an opportunity for deep listening, for deep reflection, for contemplation, investigation. Every moment is this opportunity for mindfulness. Mindful attention to whatever is occurring. Sometimes people say, well, the retreat isn't real life. You know, this is kind of a kind of a rarefied field, but, you know, this is it, isn't it? It's all happening right here. And sometimes we think that, you know, somehow it's all going to stop. We're going to get to a place where this momentum of these conditions and all this difficulty, and I mean, this comes up a lot. People talk about it in interviews, you know, that, you know, I want, I want to get to a place where I feel more peaceful or I feel more calm or, you know, the, the emotions go away or the, the, Im, the uh, difficult impressions stop or, you know, I finally get away from the person who's breathing loudly or, or whatever it is, you know, this something's, we're going to get to a better place and then we're going to be able to drop into this exquisite place. But I'm not so sure... And, and, and not so sure, I mean, we might, but that isn't necessarily what we're pointing to in this practice. My teacher, um, my primary teacher in the early days, Joseph Goldstein, um, really helped, helped us, helped me a lot when he gave us a secret teaching. And Joseph, if some of you know Joseph or have sat with him, he has a, a, just a beautiful way of delivering these uh, simple teachings. And so he said, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you a secret teaching, and I haven't really given this teaching before. And he said, you know, this is a really powerful secret teaching. Are you ready? <laughs> and, you know, so of course there was a lot of expectation. Oh, wow, you know, we're really going to get the secret teaching. And he said, okay, are you ready? Here it is. He said, if it's not one thing, it's another. You know, he said it with that kind of, you know, the Jewish kind of, you know, if it's not one thing, it's another. And, you know, I think that is one of the most potent teachings that I've had. It's one of the teachings I reflect on so much, the secret mantra, because every time my mind starts to lean or move into that, oh, it'll just be better over there. You know, if I could just, you know, get through this moment <laughs> or if I could just, you know, tolerate what's happening here, it'll just be better over there. That has to be better than this. You know, that, 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 T-H-A-T, that which we project into a future moment and that becomes a kind of refuge for us 
Of course, it doesn't exist. (laughs) But the mind, there's a way the mind can just lean forward a little bit. You know, we just, we just, I see it in myself. There's this, that leaning, it's just over there. That, you know, that with a capital T is just over there. And then I won't have to be with this, with a capital T. (laughs) You know, that it's a kind of hope. You know, it's a hope for that future moment that's going to be pleasant and comfortable and ease and, and maybe, maybe even enlightened. You know, that enlightened moment, you know, when we finally get it or get there. And, and we can just, we can, as we tune into this, we can start to sense that leaning and feeling that kind of hopefulness. But then, of course, the opposite of that is, is the fear that arises, because then there can also be the thought that actually, I won't get it. It's over there. <laughs> I, other people are getting it, but I won't get it. You know, or it won't be what I think it is. Or actually, maybe what I actually get will be horrible. Maybe it's going to be really scary, and I don't want it. And then there's this whole kind of movement back and forth between what I hope is going to happen, but then at the same time, maybe getting a little frightened of it. And this movement back and forth towards and away, towards and away, hope and fear which some say is actually the movement of the personality, of the self, ego-self. Ego-self moves in this way, this hoping for that moment that's going to give us everything, and then the fear of what we actually are going to get or what might happen. My teacher, one of my teachers, Hamid Ali, said, which I I love this too, he said that the end of this movement of hope and fear is the birth of love. The end of that movement is the birth of love. Because we land in the acceptance. We land in the allowing. We land in that capacity to embrace just what's here. And that capacity to embrace whatever it is in any form is love, is an expression of love. What else could love be if it's not that capacity or that quality of inclusion, including, as Eugene was speaking about as well, this this attitude or this capacity for inclusivity. Whatever it is, whatever is happening for us, And when we're caught in that, that kind of hope and the fear, it's just over there, that is surely better than this. We feel that as a kind of tension or pressure or restlessness. And that restlessness can be unexamined. We feel the restlessness or we feel the agitation, but we're not quite sure what it's about or why we're feeling it. And and as we start to breathe with, we have more of the breathing with what's going on. That breathing with is what, what helps us start to calm that mind that is moving towards and away. We start to feel more settled, a little bit more steady, a little bit more present. And with that calm and some tranquility that starts to come with the breathing with, this prepares the mind for insight. It prepares the mind for clear seeing. So we can see more uh, clearly into the nature of things, the nature of our mind, the nature of our body, the nature of the way things are. We can see more clearly that things are actually coming and going and that nothing stays or lasts for very long as we start to breathe with and, and, and allow ourselves to come more in contact with. And then we can, as we begin to let go and release our grip on 
the conditions and the way we want the conditions to be, we start to feel a little bit more of that ease, not so much of the contraction and the tension. We like this. You know, this, this, this informs us, this feeds us, and then encourages us to keep going down that road, down that path that's bringing about these, um, this release. In the late 70s or early 80s, Ram Dass, one of the, our teachers who was teaching a lot at that time, found these verses on the faith mind by the, the third Zen patriarch. Um, and he made up these little, little books and passed thousands of them out. And these were, there's just, there's, I don't know how many verses there are, but it's just this tiny little book. And apparently... These were the only teachings that this um, teacher, this Chinese teacher, gave, and they're all kind of, they're they're printed and translated in this book, and and they're they're very powerful words. I'm sure some of you have heard them, and there's many there's many verses, maybe 15 verses, and I like reading the first one because I think that um, it really points to what our practice is here. And he says, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. Good start, huh? It's sort of like, um, how do you become rich? This is Steve Martin said this. How do you become rich? First, you get a million dollars. So it's kind of the same thing. The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. But uh, uh, Stephen Mitchell retranslated that a little bit, and I think it speaks to us a a little bit more accurately. He said, the great way is not difficult for those who are not attached to their preferences. And I think that helps us a little bit more because it points to the grasping. It actually, that's in the grasping is the problem that we want to overcome. So we want to look at how we're attached to our preferences. So, so the third uh, Zen patriarch goes on to say, when love and hate, and here the word love is, is, the, is the love, the uh, kind of the self-possessed grasping love. When love and hate are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. If you wish to see the truth, then hold no opinions for or against anything. To set up what you like against what you dislike is the disease of the mind. When the deep meaning of things is not understood, the mind's essential peace is disturbed to no avail. When the deep meaning of things is not understood, then the mind's essential peace is disturbed to no avail. And so this is, this is what's being pointed to, is this distinction that we make between what we like and what we don't like. If you wish to see the truth, hold no opinion for or against anything. And so, so that can mean even when somebody's coughing next to us and we get like no i don't want that person coughing you know that's a we're against that you know the kind of contraction and the tension in our body and our mind what would it mean to not set that apart to not set that apart from our practice from our awareness from our mindfulness from what we're actually investigating here so that we come into more of this attitude of inclusion. So we practice skillful means. We're learning a number of skillful means here. This breathing with is the one that I'm primarily pointing to at the moment. And, and this, along with that, this practice of disengaging from the, the stories that we make up in our mind. Because these opinions, these ideas, these beliefs, they, they form a kind of storyline 
of I, I, I don't like this, it shouldn't be happening, um, if only somebody would make an announcement, then they would stop doing that. You know, I mean, this kind of uh, litany, somebody called it today. This litany of uh, a judgment or, or blame or criticism, a negativity, a resistance, all this, this kind of, I'm talking particularly about this, this uh, negative frame that we have going. Um, and this, then the practice, this practice of learning how to disengage from those patterns of thought. So as we come into the breathing, the breathing with, it's a way, Eugene was speaking about, it's a way we begin to disengage from the thoughts, but not, he mentioned last night, not, not separating, not cutting off from the thought, but even the possibility of breathing with the thought. So we're not pushing those thoughts away. We're not cutting ourselves off. And this is so, this also so often happens for meditators where they really think that thoughts are bad or they shouldn't be happening. So there's a kind of yanking the attention back to the breath or back to the body. But rather instead this breathing with as the thoughts are, are, are happening. And as we do that, there is a way we are not as engaged we're not as hooked, we're not as caught, because the awareness has just expanded, it's opened, it's more inclusive, there's more happening than just our thoughts. And when we get caught, when we get identified with our thoughts, we usually don't know that anything else is going on, right? You're just like lost in that imaginary reality without really much sense that you're even sitting here or that you're walking or where you are, that your spirit rocket really seems like we've just been transported to another world through our imaginary minds. So by the wisdom awareness arises in the recognition that that's happened, then there can be that returning the reconnecting with the breath, the breathing with, including, not rejecting. And then we're here. There's the quality of presence with our experience as it is. Whatever it is. Might be a pain in the in the in the body. And then the, the story around it, oh um, this shouldn't be happening, I can't really meditate, it's just going to get worse, I'm going to have to leave, and I've had this problem before, and I'm going to probably have to go to the hospital, and what if I, you know, something really terrible happens, and then I can't use my leg, and I can't go bike riding, and I had this tournament, and, you know, how, how we just go off. And yet just staying here and feeling the sensation, breathing with it, it's just a sensation. Maybe unpleasant, maybe uncomfortable, but we can stay here with it. So the skillful means of having a primary object, in this case we're speaking about the breath, where we can reconnect with, to to bring more expansiveness in our awareness, rather than just being locked up in a particular condition or phenomena in our experience, but this more expansive way of being. Sometimes we may take a primary object as the sound, the sounds that are arising and passing, and we may just open the awareness and just listen to the sounds. Sometimes just the sounds of the people in the room or uh, the sound of the wind or lovely when it rains, and we just listen to the sound, the raindrops on the roof. And we can just use that, just go to the sound as our primary object. Or sometimes we even might go to metta. Some people practice loving kindness. And we can take the, the words of may I be happy or may you be happy as a way we reconnect with a primary object and disengage with the, the storyline that wants to uh, be repeated again and again and again. A skillful means, a way of, of just uh, not being quite so caught up in the personality view, the conditions of mind, conditions of body, 
There's this lovely quote from um, St. Francis, 16th century Roman Catholic priest, a, a saint, who says, Bring yourself back to the point quite gently. Even if you do nothing during the whole of your hour, but bring your heart back a thousand times, though it went away every time you brought it back, your hour would be well employed. Bring yourself back to the point quite gently. It's just that. You know, I like reading that because that's really, in a way, our meditation practice. You just return back to the point, whatever your point is, whether it's the breath or the sounds or the loving kindness, uh, maybe the body, maybe the touch points of the sensations in the body. We've been speaking about that, feeling that quality of the body being here. And yet sometimes, when I was speaking about this in a small group today, as a woman who said, you know, yeah, it's great to come back to the body, but, you know, it's not so easy being in the body. She said, this is where it's all happening. <laughs> you know, all the sensations and the emotions and the strong feelings and all of that. And it's really true that for many people, you know, even though we speak about coming back into the body, even sometimes the breathing in the body, it's too overwhelming for some people. And so this too, we want to honor this and know that there, you know, sometimes we may have to go further out. So rather than just staying in the body, sometimes it's opening the eyes and looking out a little bit further, finding an object outside just to get a little bit of space or disengaged from the intensity of the experience that's right here. You know, sometimes we can just open the eyes, kind of look around a little bit, open up. This is skillful, these skillful means. We're not distracting ourselves in, in an unskillful way from our experience, but we're supporting ourselves to stay present when we do that. It's easier outside because we can look at the sky, we can look at the, uh, the, the beauty of the nature, sometimes the animals, or just a dewdrop or plants, or you know, just something that then helps us to stay a little bit more present when there's a lot of intensity happening. It's a way we can really support ourselves. When we feel more resourced, when we feel strong, then we can come back. We can come a little closer in again to our experience. But we can work with ourselves in this way. Giving our attention in this way to some object, it's, it's an analogy of this is kind of like giving a, a, a bone to a dog, you know? A, a dog's very happy while he's chewing a bone, you know? In this way, there's a certain contentment in, in the way we give our mind something to chew on. So something a little bit better than just the fear and the hope and the worry and the regret and the anxiety and the, all the different ways the mind gets caught. Brings a, can bring a certain amount of, of contentment or easefulness. And then we, we start to settle more, we rest more. And that's what we're, we're attempting to do, is find a way that we can feel more at ease in ourselves. We feel more of a, a sense of well-being in our experience, whatever it is, in any way that it manifests, whatever we're experiencing, whether it's uncomfortable or, or fearful or difficult or emotional, can we find a way to settle in ourselves with that? Even if there's some anxiety about the thing that we're experiencing, even that opening a little more to include the anxiety. Oh, I think you're, you may be getting a sense of this, 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 this kind of inclusiveness that, that I'm speaking about and Eugene was speaking about. I wanted to, um, which one do I want to read something from Ajahn Chah? Which one do I want to read? Maybe this one. Ajahn Chah, this wonderful... Uh, Thai master, 
who's the, uh, the head of the uh, uh, Thai forest tradition that, as we know it here. This is uh, Ajahn Chah says, about this mind, in truth, there really isn't anything wrong with it. It is intrinsically pure. Within itself, it's already peaceful. That the mind is not peaceful is because it follows moods. The real mind doesn't have anything to it. It is simply nature. It becomes peaceful or agitated because moods deceive it. The untrained mind is stupid. Sense impressions come and trick it into happiness, suffering, gladness, and sorrow. But the mind's true nature is none of those things. That gladness or sadness is not the mind, but only a mood coming to deceive us. The untrained mind gets lost and follows things. It forgets itself. Then we think it is we who are upset or at ease or whatever. But really, this mind of ours is already unmoving and peaceful, really peaceful. Just like a leaf which is still, which is still as long as no wind blows. If a wind comes up, the leaf flutters. The fluttering is due to the wind. The fluttering is due to sense impressions. The mind follows them. If it doesn't follow them, it doesn't flutter. If we know fully the true nature of sense impressions, we will be unmoved. So we train the mind to know those impressions and not get lost in them. Our practice is simply to see the original mind, which is already peaceful. Just this is the aim of all this difficult practice we put ourselves through. So that's why I you know, really like to keep encouraging people to hang in there. <laughs> you know, this is not an easy practice. This is a really challenging practice that we're doing. To be sitting with ourselves and looking at our own mind, looking at our body, looking at our heart, and staying present with all that arises within our mind and body, to see if we can find uh, inner capacity, strength, to be there without getting caught up in the resistance, the aversion, the negativity. And even if we do, I really like to stress this point, even if we do, that we can find a way to open to that. It's okay. Another one of Joseph's mantras, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. You know, we can, mantra means we can repeat that, you know, we can repeat that to ourselves as a practice. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Whatever we see arising, it's okay. So more and more, we simplify our practice. Really simplify. Coming more and more into this moment, just this moment. This one moment of one thought, one sensation, one half breath, one sound. Moment to moment to moment. And it's also what makes this practice really possible is because we don't have to worry about what happened in the last moments. You don't have to go back there. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to try to understand it. You can let it go and begin again. You don't have to worry about what's going to come in the next moment because it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't been born. It's not real. So you can let that go. So our practice again and again is just this. Not that. (laughs) That mystical that, you know, that thing over there that's going to do it for us or 
you know, that place that we need to get to, or that situation that needs to happen, or this, just this. This, 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 this is simple, but not easy. It's a wonderful line from Manindra, another teacher. It's, it's simple, but not easy. Just this. So I'll, um, I'll end with this, the, the last, the last few lines of the third Zen patriarch where he says um, one thing all things move among and intermingle without distinction to live in this realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection we heard that last night to live in this realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. To live in this faith is the road to non-duality because the non-dual is one with the trusting mind. And then in a very Zen way, the very last lines of the verse is, words, the way is beyond language. For in it there is no yesterday, no tomorrow, and no today. Let's just sit for a moment together. for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.